This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and tell a friend to help them find Out of Water also. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Out of Water Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschlager, and joining me today, as he always does, is our pastor of education, Reverend Sam Kastensmith. And we are welcoming you to week 19 of our series, Desiring the Kingdom. And I say that just because it's an impressive number, 19 weeks of Desiring the Kingdom. And 2 Kings chapter 2. Um, this is an interesting chapter, Sam, because today mm-hmm. we're going to be talking about the Elijah's last day on earth. Um, mm-hmm. And I have to say, it's a fire. It's a famous one. It is. Well, and I have to say that that Elijah has been this this flamboyant sort of confrontational, larger than life figure. He's uh, we I, I called him the gunslinger. He's like the guy that you know God calls him and says, "All right, I want you to go in and face down these impossible odds." And he's like, "I'm there." You know, it's like he just <laughs> yeah. he's ready to go. It says, and Elijah went. You know. And, uh, and so for a guy like that, I really feel like this is a fitting departure. Mm-hmm. Elijah totally. is not going to be a, and he went home and closed his eyes and slept with his fathers. That's not going to be Elijah. You know, it's like, <laughs> <clears throat> yep. you know, and I think that God in a way is kind of recognizing that, you know, the, the, uh, the way that God collects him to heaven is, I think, you know, honestly, I think it's God just showing that. You know, this was my guy. You know, this was some, mm-hmm. this was a special man. Laura was she my wife. Laura graduated from Wheaton, and when she was there, Rich Mullins was a very very big figure for them. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was when he was you know really big, sure, and bringing forth this new kind of music. And one of his songs was "I Want to Go Out Like Elijah." And you know, when he she, he died when she was in college, and he died in a fiery car crash. And mm-hmm. you know, even listening to the lyrics back, Laura was telling me it was just kind of eerie. You know, here's this guy who just, you know, drew so many people to the Lord singing mm-hmm. a song, I want to go out like Elijah, and goes out in a fiery car crash. You know, Elijah goes out in a chariot of fire, and he's yeah. not harmed by it. Uh, but anyway, I just – interesting. It made a, a big impression on her. But the same kind of deal. He's not going to go out normal, you yeah. know. And if anybody is wondering who Rich Mullins is, uh, you've all heard our God is an awesome God. So there you go. That's, mm-hmm. that's a, that's, I think probably the most famous Rich, Rich Mullins song. Uh, but he was hugely influential in contemporary Christian music. So, mm-hmm. and it was, I remember, I actually remember the day that I heard that Rich Mullins had died in a car crash. Um, I just remember feeling like this stunned, you know, a little bit because you, you tend to believe that these people that the Lord is, are using in, really amazing ways, you know, high profile guys that are really getting the job done for the Lord and Rich Mullins, you know, influencing really a generation with his music. Um, you just kind of feel like God somehow is going to like put the bumpers on and keep them safe. And yet, yet he doesn't. I mean, you know, the, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. The car crashes yeah. happen to the saved and the unsaved. You know, it's, um, we're not, not on the, we're not guaranteed to be spared of those things is what I'm saying. Yeah. When Rich Mullins died, I was not a believer. So if you'd have told me Rich Mullins died, I'd have been like, who's that? But the one memory I do have from going to an evangelical uh, youth group when I was in probably eighth grade, that's the only thing I remember was singing Our God is an Awesome God. It made an impression on me. Mm-hmm. Singing it was fun. Um, yeah. But I didn't know who Rich Mullins was. I couldn't have told you who sang it. That's and I, you know, It's kind of funny it's, it, because we're going to be talking about Elijah's departure today here with mm-hmm. Second Kings two, and all of this that was going on with the sons of the prophets, and we'll get into that in just a minute. But it was almost that kind of thing, that sort of sense of disbelief, I think, on their part. Um, you know, they they keep running up to Elisha and saying, "Do you know the Lord is going to do this?" And Elisha says, "I know." Um, it's almost as though they were saying to him, "Can't you do something about it? Can't you, you know, talk God out of this? Does does He really have to take him? You know, that kind of thing." I see, I see Elijah as the, and he was a gunslinger. Now he's a rock star. He's a rock star prophet. You know, he was a, he was a person that, um, everybody knew his name. You know, all of Israel knew who Elijah was. No question. So, so let's dive sure. right in to, uh, 2 Kings chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. 
It says, Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please, stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the Bethel, Bethel, I'm going to pronounce it six different ways before the end of this paragraph. (laughs) (laughs) And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Um, first, first thing right off the bat, mm-hmm. um, it's like this was the worst kept secret, or if it was a secret, I mean, it's like it seems like everybody knew here that today mm-hmm. was it for Elijah. I mean, Elijah knew it, and Elisha knew it, and the sons of the prophets knew it. Um, does that strike you? At, is there anything that strikes you interesting, or it struck me as unusual that just everybody would know that today was it for Elijah? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things going on here. And one of them, like, you got to enter into the emotion of this moment. Uh-huh. Because this is this great champion who, to himself, kind of on his own back alone, at least feeling alone, has been carrying the weight of this prophetic office, standing in the face of Ahab and Jezebel and, and all the prophets of Baal and Asherah. He is a hero, and God has shown himself faithful. Now, when he... Uh, just a few chapters ago, when he goes down to Mount Sinai and he has it out with God, he has it out with God saying, I feel alone, like there's no one left. And God assures him there are, you know, thousands who have not bowed the knee to Baal. I'm going to work through them. And so now you got to imagine this. This is like Elijah's homegoing ceremony, and he's doing a tour through these cities and out come all these sons of the prophets to honor him, to say goodbye, to – and you got to imagine Elijah who felt alone going through these towns and all of a sudden out of the woodwork come all these people that are going to continue the mission after him, the sons of the prophets who, by the way, you get a kind of a stamp of approval of their prophetic office and that they know what's going on. Right. Right? You know, it, who revealed this to them? The Lord did. Um, and so this is God's faithfulness to Elijah as he's leaving. He is seeing God's faithfulness. He has brought up all these sons of the prophets mm-hmm. to carry on the role. It's really a pretty tender moment. You know, you imagine, you know, somebody being honored for a legacy at a retirement ceremony and everybody's coming out of the woodwork to thank them for the, the work that he's done and to carry on the, the work. You know, like I think, I think God is being showing this kindness. It's a, it's a goodbye tour, a farewell tour for Elijah, but mm-hmm. it's also very, 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 um, important and what he's communicating for the sake of Elisha in this too. Now, my understanding of the sons of the prophets were that they were groups of basically minor prophets. Like they, mm-hmm. you had, you had important guys like Elijah, but there were prophets of the Lord throughout Israel and mm-hmm. that these were, these were actually prophets themselves. And in, in, I guess sort of like junior prophets or minor prophets or lesser prophets. And, that they were in some way attached to, like these could have been Elijah's own sort of disciples, you know, mm-hmm. that, that kind of thing that they were. I think that's a good word. Disciples. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. That they were in some way connected to him. Mm-hmm. Um, so they come out, they tell Elisha, do you know that today the Lord's going to take your master from over you? And then in verse four, it re- almost repeats itself. <clears throat> Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he, that would be Elisha, said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. <laughs> uh, now, he says that a couple That's so same thing. You know, they come to Jericho. Sons of the prophets come out to greet them. And they say to Elisha, do you know what's going on? And Elisha says, yes, I know it. And then he says to them, keep quiet. Mm-hmm. Uh, why do you think that he was telling them to keep quiet? Yeah, I think Elisha knows that he's going to lose Elijah, and he's grieving over it. He doesn't want to talk about it. And in this passage, it's not accidental that they're doing the tour that they're doing. Um, all of these spots, so they go to Gilgal, they go to Bethel, and they go to Jericho. 
And that's very intentional because those are the first sites that Joshua is going to go to after Moses dies, right? Mm-hmm. So Moses is the great prophet of the Old Testament. He's the one that goes to Mount Sinai. He's leading the people. He is directing them into how they are to chase after God. And when Moses dies, his heir apparent is who? It's Joshua. Sure. Yeah. And so Joshua is going to do what? He goes from outside the promised land. He crosses the Jordan through this miracle where the Jordan River actually dries up. The armies of Israel go in, and what does God say? I want you to gather 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel, and I want you to create a memorial. Where? At Gilgal. That's the first place Elijah and Elisha go. Then they go to Bethel and Jericho, and those two spots are the first two battles that you see that Joshua is going to have. He conquers Jericho, and then he moves on and he conquers a city called Ai, which was totally destroyed and not rebuilt, but Bethel, which is its twin city, was still standing. And so the first things that Joshua does without Moses is Gilgal, Jericho, and Bethel, and he takes up the mantle to lead Israel. And so now Elijah is taking his farewell tour with his understudy through the very places that Joshua would have walked through. And I've got to believe that's intentional. Mm-hmm. And and the way that this is set up is every time Elijah says to Elisha, you stay here. You know, you don't have to come with me. You could you could go back to your to your previous life. You stay here. And three times, every time Elisha says, absolutely not as the Lord lives, I will not leave you. And that's actually not looking backward, it's looking forward uh, to one that's greater than Moses, one that's greater than Elijah, um, the fulfillment of all that they were meant to bring, which is Jesus. And Jesus will have this encounter with Peter, right? Mm -hmm. Peter, at, at the cross, Peter will deny him three times, right? I don't know the man, you know, he screams when Jesus is in his torment, And then afterwards, when they're on the shores of Galilee, Jesus takes Peter aside and he asks them three series of questions. And every time it's, do you love me, Peter? And he gets to the third question. Peter realizes what's going on. He did three denials. Now he's getting three questions about whether or not Peter will follow him. And Peter on that third question falls apart and says, you know all things, Lord. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, you know, tend to my flock, feed my lambs. And so all of these questions are looking forward to Jesus, who's, you know, here, here's the Savior of the world who is now commissioning his church, the ones that are going to follow in his footsteps to bring the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth, right? And he's commissioning Peter in that moment with those three questions to go out and feed the flock. And so this same pattern is going on. Elijah to Elisha, he's saying, hey, man, you're going to carry on this this work. Very similar, Jesus is saying to Peter, who's representing, you know, the church, you're going to carry on this work. Mm-hmm. It's I, I think they're speaking to one another for sure. Mm-hmm. Do you think that it was that Elijah was actually making like a legitimate offer to Elisha to say, go back to your previous life? Or did Elijah expect that Elisha would say, no, I'm coming with you? I do think it was somewhat genuine. You know, I think when Elijah says to Elisha, hey, you can you can go back home, that it was a real offer. But I think he wanted Elisha to say, no, man, I'm all in. I'm going to mm-hmm. follow you. I'm going to take up your mantle. I'm, I'm all in for the cause. I think that's Elijah's heart for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I when I was looking at this and uh, like this past week, um, well, actually, last week. I, I just see time becomes very relative to me <laughs> because I'm like I'm always looking back and looking ahead because I'm studying chapters to do study notes for weeks ahead, and we're talking about looking ahead for podcasts. And I'm looking. This is actually today. I'm looking back because this was like when I was like two weeks ago from in my mind, mm-hmm. and um, so last week I recorded this little personal worship thing that got sent out of a video of what, what God had been teaching me in personal worship. And, and for me, I, I sort of felt like Elisha was having kind of one of those Rodney Dangerfield experiences where the, you know, the comedian who used to joke about, I don't get no respect. Um, that Elisha was, you know, he was 
emotional. Obviously, he knew that Elijah was going to be taken from him. Elijah was his mentor and his master and his his guide. He, you know, we talk about the sons of the prophets being disciples of Elijah. I think that Elisha was the biggest disciple. Basically, he was the number one guy. He was the guy that was going to inherit the mantle. So. Elisha was was like doubly emotional at this time, as you pointed out. And I think that um, this had to be, you know, like Elijah saying, hey, stay here. And Elisha's like, no, I'm going with you, the sons of the prophets. Mm-hmm. Do you know God's going to take him away from me? Yes, I know. And it had to be feeling like he wasn't really getting any respect, you know. And then, mm-hmm. uh, spoiler alert, as we get through this story, you're going to see the sons of the prophets, I think, in a way, then – kind of disrespect him when he comes mm-hmm. back from the the actual encounter with the chariot and we'll get there in just a minute but i do feel sort of like elisha was kind of a ringer for him you know he was emotional because he knew he was going to lose his mentor his master elijah was going to be taken from him and he was emotional because you know he's being <laughs> nagged by these sons of the prophets that keep coming out and you know i just feel like he's a guy that's feeling like look i i'm not getting any respect here you know i'm getting it from all sides you guys just you know give me a moment here would you kind of thing mm-hmm. um it had to be a a difficult journey for elisha to take for uh, sure. So, so uh, then we come to verse six, where one more time it says the third time. Then Elijah said to him, "Please stay here. This would be at Jericho, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. This is the Jordan River." But he said, "As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you." So the two of them went on, and this time we get an indication of how many sons of the prophets. Verse seven: Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, as they were both standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other, till the two of them could go over on dry ground. And as you were saying, this actually. Mm-hmm is this actually is looking back at and connecting with the Joshua coming up to the Jericho, the yeah. Lord parted the waters for him. So so Moses and Joshua together, you have Moses who's going to part the Red Sea. The Red Sea, and yeah. Joshua, his ministry is validated, right? When God says to Joshua, I'm going to be with you as I was with Moses, and the first time you get the sense, oh my gosh, that's really true, is when Joshua comes to the Jordan and it parts. And so now he's repeating that with Elijah, and he will repeat it again with Elisha, um, because this this river gets parted twice. This would have been a very confusing day for the fish of the Jordan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess it would have been. (laughs) You know, just imagine being, you know, aquatic creatures like, oh, God's letting someone come through again. Everybody get used to it. And I'm going to point this out just as a minor thing here, but it – it is something that's told each time, which is when Moses comes to the Red Sea and the Red Sea is parted, it says that Israel crossed on dry ground. You'll notice that here, too. It parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. And if I were to go out back, I have a lake right behind my house. My house is on a lake. Um, before you think it's on some big, beautiful lake, it's on a lake that I – well, I couldn't throw a rock across it. But it's not a huge lake, but it's not a small one either. It's a good-sized lake. At any rate, um, that's – I don't know why the size of the lake is important. But the point is, there's a lot of water in this hole in the ground behind my house. And if I were to take all the water out of that, if I were to part the water or just drain the lake, the bottom of that lake isn't going to be anything that I'm going to want to walk across. You know, it's going to be mud and sludge and my feet are going to sink into it and it's going to be hard going. And each of the times that the Lord parts the water for someone here, whether it's the Red Sea for Moses or the Jordan for Joshua or for Elijah and Elisha here, it says that the, that the, the ground is dry, um, which is, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. It's a second miracle. It's like, yes, I push the water out of the way. Sure. But then I also dry the ground, you know, and it always makes me think of this idea that you know, one of the verses that we've all heard, if you've been, if you've been around church for any length of time, you've heard somebody quote to you Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? You know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and what? He will make your paths straight. This idea of the Lord as a path preparer sort of thing. And it, that's what it always calls to mind with me is the Lord is going to make my paths yeah, straight. Good. 
and dry. You know, it's like, but just this idea that the Lord has something that he wants me to walk and that he prepares that, you know, he prepares the path for me to walk. Um, and that's all I, I, that's driven home to me when I see stories like this about the water being parted and they cross on dry ground. I'm like, yo, God, God prepared that for them, you know, that they mm-hmm. could cross, cross it easily. So verse nine, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you, which is, by the way, is a, is a, that's the, that's a literal wording. That's how they would, but it's, it's a weird thing of saying, what would you like me to do for you? It's just an, un, it's mm-hmm. just an odd phrase, but it's one that happens a lot in scripture. They'll, it's put to you as a sort of question, you know, ask what I shall do for you. Um, Elijah saying, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you've asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. That's a very interesting encounter. The first thing is, Mm -hmm. to me, I feel like Elisha was kind of being humble here. You know, Elijah says, what can I do for you? And Elisha says, hey, if I'm going to follow in your footsteps, man, I'm going to need twice whatever it is you have, you know, because Mm -hmm. he'd he'd been with Elijah long enough to know that Elijah really was this larger-than-life character and that Elisha knew he had some big shoes to fill and a big mantle to carry. So mm-hmm. I think that Elisha's being humble when he says not that he's not saying I want to be twice the prophet you were Elijah. What he's saying is mm-hmm. I'm going to need twice God's help just to be what you are. Yeah. And and one of the things that's going on in this passage we talked about, you know, the sons of the prophets being kind of the idea of their disciples. Mm-hmm. Um, but literally they would have been seen, you know, like you had a spiritual father. And so when, when Elijah goes up into this whirlwind into heaven, he's crying out, my father, my father. Well, in the ancient culture, your inheritance from the father and, and primogeniture being the firstborn son, that's just the way they did things back then. He, the firstborn son would get a double portion of the inheritance. Mm-hmm. And so what Elisha – and by the way, they would carry on the family name and they would carry on the family property and they would carry on the family business and and they would be the one who who took ownership of basically everything that was inherited. So Elisha is saying, may I be your firstborn son? May I be the one who carries on the name, the legacy, the the family business? Um, but he's also saying what you're saying, like, <laughs> I'm going to need a double portion of your spirit on me. Yeah. Um, that, that also, when you're looking forward to Christianity and the establishment of the church in John 14, Jesus has this conversation with the apostles and they're saying like, you know, if you're going to go away from us, if God is going to take you back into heaven, how are we going to know what to do? Thomas asked the question, how will we know the way? And and what is Jesus' response? Very famous line. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No, There's no other way to the Father but by me. And then he goes on in this conversation and he says, he assures them, you will do greater things than me, which is a mind-boggling promise to his church that they are going to carry out even greater things than Jesus did in his life. I mean, take take aside the, the resurrection and the salvation of all humanity. What he's saying is, my church is going to accomplish more good for the kingdom of God in this world than I was able to. Sure. And you know what? That's true. Yeah. You know, it's it's on every continent. It's It's reached all sorts of people. The church has grown the amount of poor that have been clothed and fed and, and prisoners that have been reached. I mean, the church has done more than Jesus did. Um, and Jesus's words were true. And so I think in this, Elisha is saying, I want a double portion of your spirit, spirit to carry on this mission going forward. And you get Jesus giving that same promise, which by the way, should in us get rid of any timidity. You know, Jesus has promised us that we are going to do greater things, mm-hmm. which, <laughs> Seems impossible, right? Mm-hmm. But that's from the mouth of our Lord. You, we will do greater things. And it's encouraging. 
And so Elisha saw the whirlwind. He saw the chariots of fire. So then he knew that his request had been answered because that's what mm-hmm. Elijah said. If you see me taken up, it's going to be – this will be for you. So one of the things that's going on here that's, you know, if you remember going back to the beginning when Elijah shows up before Ahab and he says, hey, I'm I'm going to turn off the rain yeah. for three years, that would have been a thumb into the eye of Baal who was seen as the god of the storm. He's the god who brings rain. And so this whole thing between Elijah and the prophets of Baal and everything else that goes on is God trying to wake up these people to show that even his prophet is greater than the gods that they worship, Baal and Asherah. And so when you get to this final moment where Elijah takes off his mantle, rolls it up, and then strikes the water and the water parts, that is reminding the the people who worshiped Baal of their creation story, which goes like this. You have Baal who goes to war against another god who is Yom, and Yom was the god of the seas, the god of water, and he was this tyrant god. And what does Baal do? He takes his club, which was the, the symbol of his thunder and lightning, and he smashes the sea god, Yom, in the head and then rips his body apart. And so when Elijah takes off his mantle, the source of his power, it's not a club that brings lightning and thunder, it's a mantle which represents his office as a prophet of the Most High God. He takes that off, rolls it up. And he strikes the water and the water parts. And you're going, hey, wait a minute. That's kind of like what Baal did to come to power as the chief of the gods. And you're saying, man, Elijah does this in real life, right in you know front of these people. And then what happens? Baal's nickname all throughout the ancient mythology, Baal's nickname is Rider of the Clouds. Mm-hmm. Um, and what does Elijah become here? When God takes him to heaven, what is it going to look like? Like he's riding on the clouds, yeah. Elijah is the rider of the clouds, and mm. God is just screaming, even my prophet is greater than your God. Hmm. It's hmm. evangelistic. All of this is evangelistic to the people of the nation. And especially because the great sin of the people of Israel at that time was this desire to blend the worship of Yahweh and Baal, mm-hmm. you know, because they were getting yeah. mixed signals from all of their leaders who weren't helping the situation at all. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, they lived in the land, they lived in the Can, the land of Canaan. That was the promised land. And they did not do what God told them to do, which was basically clear the place out. It's yours. Get rid of everybody that's living there. They didn't do that. So they were living among these residents who were Baal worshipers. So it's kind of like you move into the neighborhood. Your neighbor is worshiping this other God. And, you know, it's like there's some conflict here. And then you get this new leader of your, you know, city, your neighborhood, who goes, look, you guys can come together. On this, you can, you know, Yahweh, Baal, it's like it's all just, it's good. Either one, worship them both at the same time. You guys worship each other's gods. Mm-hmm. And and then Ahab, of course, came out and said, yeah, forget the Yahweh thing. Let's just go for Baal. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So, and by this point, it's like the people who came into this area, we were, we were following Yahweh. And then we get here, we meet these nice neighbors who seem to be following Baal, and then our king says it's okay to follow Yahweh and Baal, and now we got a king that says, forget Yahweh, follow Baal. So the mm-hmm. conflict in the mind of the Israelites was especially like present in their mind, this, con- this conflict, this judgment as to who's greater, Yahweh or Baal. So mm-hmm. it was, I mean, it was evangelistic to his own people. He's yeah. like, the Lord is trying to call his own people back. And then, of course, make a point to the worshipers of Baal. But first, and I think first and foremost, he's talking to the people that are supposed to be worshiping him, saying, have you forgotten who I am? Because obviously mm-hmm. they had. You know, I certainly Ahab had. Uh, yeah, that's a, it, this, this might have, this must have been quite a moment because when this got around to people, like Elijah was taken up. What do you mean? Like in the clouds. What? On horses. Like he rode a chariot into the clouds. And I'm like, wow. (laughs) What have you been eating? Yeah, exactly. Really? Can I have some of those mushrooms? Yeah. Okay. So Elisha's response was, it says, then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. Is there some significance to the fact that he tore his clothes? Or is it just that he wanted to get them off because next he's going to pick up the cloak of Elijah and put that on? 
Mm-hmm. I mean, he's saying, I'm, I'm leaving behind my identity. I'm, I'm taking up Elijah. What's okay. Mine. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. It says, and he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water. I'm guessing he probably rolled it up the same way, mm-hmm. saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. So immediately. the question. Yeah. Here I am. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right here. Where's the Lord? You know, right, right here. I'm, hang on, Elisha. I'm parting the waters. I'll be with you in a second. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, but it is interesting that it's like immediately right off the bat, the Lord starts to confirm Elisha as Elijah's successor with, mm-hmm. w- with a miracle. The first thing he does instantly right away is he demonstrates that Elisha is now his prophet, his lead guy by parting the waters of the Jordan River again. Mm-hmm. And the fish in the Jordan River yeah. are like, again, would you guys make up your mind one side or the other, you know? <laughs> but he, uh, Elisha is also asking that question, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? I mean, he's asking that with an audience of these sons of the prophets who are on the other side watching. And so it's it's when he asks, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He wants the Lord to answer in the sight of these people in a way that says, I'm with you, Elisha, and they see it. And I think that's what makes – that makes what happens next all the more interesting to me because it says in verse 15, now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests upon Elisha. Okay, well, that's – that right. That's acknowledgement. Like we see – Wow, you know, the Lord is with Elisha now. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. And they said to him, behold, now there are with your servants 50 strong men. This is an odd request now. Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the spirit of the Lord has caught him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, Elisha, you shall not send. But when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, send. They sent therefore 50 men, and for three days they sought him, but did not find him. And they came back to him while he was staying at Jericho, and he said to them, Did I not say to you, do not go? Now, there's a lot going on here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> First is that the, that the sons of the prophets immediately recognize that the Lord has passed the mantle literally and figuratively, because Elisha came back wearing the mantle of Elijah. He came back with Elijah's cloak on him, so that... That mantle of being the lead prophet had been passed both literally and figuratively. It's like the, the, yes, Elisha was now the guy, the Lord did the miracle, and then he also had Elijah's cloak on him. So there's the figurative passing of the mantle. So they, mm-hmm. they, they have to respect that this guy is now the guy, but then they immediately say, let's go look for Elijah. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> when I thought about that, I thought a number of things. First is, okay, on the one hand, I can see their point. Because remember what happened when Elijah met with uh, Obadiah, when Obadiah and Ahab were back in First Kings were looking for uh, water because their mm-hmm. their animals were about to die. And they're out there and the Lord says to Elijah, okay, go talk to Ahab. We're going to end this drought thing. And he bumps into Obadiah, who's Ahab's servant. He's his prime minister like. Mm-hmm. And, and Elijah says to Obadiah, go tell Ahab that I'm here. And Obadiah says, oh, right. I'm going to go get Ahab, and the Spirit of the Lord is going to take you who knows where, and when you're not here, Ahab's going to kill me. So I'm just suggesting that apparently Elijah was known for his powers of teleportation. I'm just saying that maybe the Lord had a habit of taking Elijah where he wanted him to be, because certainly Obadiah expected that. And here, I think that maybe it's possible the sons of the prophets were thinking, look, 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 maybe uh, Elijah was just like whisked away somewhere. But the reason Elisha says, you know, you shall not send is because he had seen Elijah taken up. He knew they weren't going to find Elijah because he'd seen the whirlwind. He'd seen the chariots of fire. My question with these sons of the prophets that are talking, did they see it? Because yes. they say, you know, it may be that the Lord has caught him up and right. cast him. So it's like, why did they, why did they assume that? So they must have seen it. I mean, really, like, because it's like, did he get thrown? Why would they think he had been thrown? I don't think they saw it. And let me just tell you why. This is my theory. This is me reading between the lines. Because obviously there was the potential to see it or not see it. Because when Elisha said, I want a double portion of your spirit, Elijah said, if you see me taken up, it shall be so. 
But if you do not see me, then it shall not be so. So Elijah was saying the possibility is that you may see this or you may not. In other words, it wasn't something that just everyone looking could see. The Lord had to let them see it. And I'm thinking the sons of the prophets didn't see it. That's, okay. that's my, that's my theory. Um, and I realize again, this is Mark reading between the lines of scripture, reinterpreting <laughs> the Bible. Uh, well, I don't know that I'm reinterpreting no, it, but you know, I'm just, I'm it, thinking it leaves they did, it vague. I mean, it does. I think it's vague. I think they saw Elisha come back and they said the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. They didn't say Elijah was taken up. They just see the mantle on Elisha. So I think they didn't see it. I think it was like, we're kind of worried, but Elisha's sort of like, look, he's gone. He's not there. You know, you're not going to find him. Yeah. And another thing that this this passage is doing, it's also looking forward again, because here you have this figure, this this guy who seemed to be bringing about some kind of redemption or confrontation for the Lord's sake in the land of Israel. And he's all of a sudden gone. And it's no coincidence that they spend how long looking for his body? Three days. Um, Yeah. They spend three days. That should, that should ring some bells. And it's, you know, when Jesus, before he dies, what does he say? He's telling his disciples again and again and again, I'm going to die and the Lord is going to, I'm going to be raised up on the third day. I'm, I'm not really dead. Like, don't, you don't have to worry. I'm going to be raised from the dead. And yet all the disciples, the, 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 the women disciples are coming to the tomb to wrap his body, to anoint his body with oils and aloes so that it doesn't smell and everything else. It's like he's saying, I'm, I'm going to be gone, I'm, but I'm not going to be dead. And they're like, okay, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and, then, and then it's like they totally expect him to be dead, like, and they're ready for his body to start rotting, and they do all these things. And so Elisha knows – Hey, he's not dead. Like, don't send him. But when they're like, how could you treat your master like that? I mean, didn't you love Elijah? I mean, it's like he's ashamed and he's like, okay, go then. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think there, that also is echoing, you know, what's to come mm-hmm. in, in the story of Christ with his disciples. And going along with my theory of Elisha don't get no respect is <laughs> the fact that Elisha knows that Elijah's not there. So when the sons, and, and, you know, every, I don't know that every single word, I, I don't, I don't think that they came and said, let us go. And Elisha just said, you shall not send. Um, I, I think that there were probably more words than, it's just Elisha's like, <laughs> right. nobody believes me here. Like, I'm trying mm-hmm. to tell you, don't go look for him. He's with God. He's in mm-hmm. heaven, but you guys are going to go search for three days up on top of the mountains because you don't believe me that, that you shouldn't go send. Mm-hmm. So Elisha to this point hasn't built any street cred. Elijah, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's done all these crazy things, but at this point they're like, okay, yeah, uh huh, uh huh. Okay, Elisha. Okay. And and like you said, he don't get no respect. I'm just going to tell you this. If I come to church tonight, because we're having Wednesday Bible study tonight, if I come tonight, take you out back, and I take my shirt off and smack the Tarpon River behind the church, (laughs) and the water parts, and I can walk across on dry ground, I want you to know that's all the street cred I need as a prophet of God. Just letting you know. That's true. Right up front. So he did just part the Jordan River, (laughs) you know, and came back wearing Elijah's mantle, and still they're like, yeah, you know. Uh, who is, who are you? Uh, we're going to look for Elijah. Yeah, that kind of thing. Is it wrong that I'm still stuck at the thought of you and me taking our shirts off at the Tarpon River? It is, man. It's, <laughs> it's tough. It's like there's, there, there, there hasn't that been that many pale jelly rolls out behind the church and I don't know. So we're not going to go there. <clears throat> so. Yeah, I think you're right there. Yeah. <laughs> He's got some street cred. He does. Parting some, the Jordan would give him some street cred. Parting the Jordan would give him some street cred, yes. So so then a very interesting thing happens, and it almost seems like a throwaway until you understand the bigger picture. There's three verses here, verses 19 to 22. Elisha goes into the city of Jericho. Now, the men of the city said to Elisha, behold, the situation of this city is pleasant. It's nice in Jericho. It's a nice, nice place to be. As my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. He said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water, this is Elisha, and threw salt in it and said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. Now, that seems, if you read it, you're like, that's a nice miracle. But when Mm -hmm. I read it, immediately I thought, he reversed the curse, the curse Mm -hmm. of Joshua. That Mm -hmm. was like a big deal. Yeah. 
I, absolutely I, right. You know, I, I mean, in, in Joshua chapter six, verse 26, Joshua, it says, it reads as Joshua laid an oath on them at that time saying, cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation, and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So Joshua cursed Jericho in a very specific way. He said that if you try to rebuild this city, your children are going to die. Mm-hmm. And when Elisha threw the salt in the water and said, the Lord has healed this water, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. I'm like, Elisha was announcing to them basically that I have reversed the curse of Joshua on the city of Jericho. I think that's cool. That's, that's awesome. Um, and, and it's not accidental to the stories of Elijah and Elisha. If the first time we're ever introduced to Elijah is verse or chapter 17 of first Kings verse one. Mm-hmm. And then just out of nowhere, you now Elijah the Tishbite, we're introduced to them. The verse immediately before we're introduced to Elijah is this. It says, um, in the days of, of Ahab, the king, it says, in his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho, and he laid its foundations at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub. Just as the prophecy was, you find this guy who's willing to kill his kids to rebuild Jericho. The next verse – Elijah's on the scene. And so this curse of of miscarriages and the death of sons that Elisha comes across when he's in Jericho is new. This this city had only been rebuilt right when Elijah comes around. That's interesting. I hadn't realized it was such a short time. But you're right. Mm-hmm. That is. It was like it had just it had it was like right in everybody's mind that this this curse is real. You also wonder whether it says in the days of King Ahab, if this was another one of those situations where Ahab was sort of disregarding, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, I know, I, Joshua cursed it. Great. Rebuild the city, please. You know, that mm-hmm. kind of a thing that, that like they didn't believe it until it actually happened. Um, yeah. It is interesting. There's a lot going on there, too. It's um, Bethel is the place that Abraham goes when he comes into the land when God is first calling and setting apart his people. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that his firstborn son is named Abram. It's it, the same spelling as Abraham's name before God changes it to Abraham. Mm-hmm. It's more the covenantal name. This father had given his son Abraham's name prior to being brought into to covenant, right? Mm-hmm. Abram. God will change his name. And so there's a lot going on here that's that's looking back at the history of Israel and basically saying, we don't care. Mm. Um, it's it's a rejection of everything that God has promised, even the fact that they're building Jericho, you know. It's spitting in the face of God's faithfulness to bring them into the land in the first place. Well, and I also think that um, it's interesting that salt is what's cast into the water because in Leviticus and Numbers, in both of those locations, the the covenant of God with his people is called a covenant of salt. I'm going to have a covenant mm-hmm. of salt. And the idea there, I actually preached a sermon on this once at church, <laughs> salt and light, this idea that salt was a preservative and the idea of including salt with your grain or including salt with anything is that it would preserve it. It would, in other words, when God says, I have a covenant of salt, you're like, what does that mean? God is saying, I have a covenant that is not going to spoil. It's not going to go away. It's an eternal and everlasting covenant. And so by Elisha, putting salt in the water, he's essentially, I believe, saying the symbolism there is the Lord is renewing his covenant Mm -hmm. with you. He's reminding you of his covenant with you. It is because of the covenant of God that this curse is being reversed. So I think that was intentional. I totally agree. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that was a, I think that was kind of a big thing. Um, wow, we're actually turning into us. Uh, I'm actually beginning to see things with your eyes toward <laughs> pictures and symbols. I'm getting there, Sam. You know, it's only taken 150 episodes or whatever. Um, <laughs> I also think that it's interesting that, you know, God's covenant with his people, and I'm, I mentioned this in, in personal worship, God's covenant with his people was, if you keep all of my commandments and statutes, right? But we couldn't keep that covenant. You know, just like in the Old Testament, they didn't keep the covenant. You know, it's like we, mm-hmm. God is a covenant keeper. We are covenant breakers. And mm-hmm. 
in the end, what God did, you know, he remained faithful to the covenant to Jericho, even when they broke the covenant, he remained faithful. The salt was put in the water, the, the curse was reversed. Well, God remained faithful in his covenant to us, his people, because he sent Christ Jesus, who fulfilled the covenants. Like, Mm -hmm. Jesus did keep all of God's commandments and statutes, and then he still was, you know, crucified. He he was accused unjustly, an innocent man, crucified, died in our place. That was God keeping the covenant on our behalf. It's like Mm -hmm. a... You just have to imagine, it's like the Lord makes this covenant with his people, and Abraham and these uh, people, in they're thinking, this is going to be tough. <laughs> this is a big covenant, and the Lord's thinking, I got both sides of this. Yeah, it's unilateral. I'm going to do this work. Yeah, you guys are going yeah, mean, to, we're making a covenant, you're going to mess it up, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah, just keep keep coming to me. Keep yeah. coming to me. So then we have what is, I think, the uh, – I, I had a little fun with this in our, in our personal <laughs> worship reflection. We have what is, I think, one of the most unusual conclusions to a chapter that we're ever going to have. Um, verse 23, he, Elisha, went up from there to Bethel, and while he was going up the way – and this is the ESV translation, and I'm going to pick on this in a minute – some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, Go up, you bald head! Go up, you bald head! And he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. From there, he went to Mount Carmel, and from there, returned to Samaria. So, first of all, I'm going to acknowledge right up front that anytime I've ever talked to somebody who's not already familiar with this story, the first time they encounter it, they're like, what? You know, God sent bears to maul children? <laughs> and yeah. And I'm going to say that I'm not going to go into if you if you want the whole detail of like where I word this word and that word and the other word, the you can read our personal worship study notes for this week of May 10th. It was for the week of May 10th. It's still available on our on our website. Um, But essentially, small boys is a bad translation. Period. It's it's a bad translation. And I'm not just saying that the people that the New American Standard agree with me. The King James, the New King James. I think the ESV just got it wrong here. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean small boys. It means youths or young men. Um, and there was a lot of them. There were 42 mm-hmm. of them mauled by the bears. And so that means there was more than 42 of them there. They were old enough to be running around outside the city by themselves. Mm-hmm. So these were at least, this was at least yeah. a pack of teenagers, young men, but it could have been the way these, the way that particular word is used. It could have been men as old as 20, 30 or 40. Mm-hmm. You pointed out to me that when Rehoboam is seeking counsel and he goes to the young men as opposed to the elders, that it's the same word. Yeah. And so, of course, Rehoboam's not going to toddlers, you right. know, or small boys. It's it's young men, It's but it's the same Hebrew word. Yeah, it says they grew up – they were with him in the court. They basically grew up with – his guys he grew up with, and at the time, Rehoboam mm-hmm. was 40. So yeah, yeah, these the this does not mean and I so what I'm trying to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, is if you have in the picture of your mind bears mauling eight year olds on a playground, get it out of your head. That's not what happened. Correct. And and does that mean I think I'm smarter than the translators of the ESV? No, but it does mean I think I make better decisions sometimes. (laughs) On this point, I think I make a better decision. And 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 again. I'm comfortable because on my side of this opinion are the guys that did the New American Standard Bible and the King James Version and the New King James Version. And I think even the Christian Standard does it this way. Um, I feel like there's solid, you know, textual evidence for mm-hmm. they had to make a choice. Could it mean small boys? Yes. Yeah. But does it always? No. And contextually, it makes no sense for these to be like toddlers. Yeah. So so we just read about – and the problem is, is a lot of people treat this like it's a total change of subject. So Elisha's just gone through Jericho, which was rebuilt, and this guy, Hiel, if you go back to the end of 1 Kings 16, this guy says, you know what? Whatever. I'm rebuilding Jericho. Right. And his two sons die. Well, where is Hiel from? Do you remember? In that passage, it says, Hiel of Bethel. And so – Jericho has this this issue where all of the sons are dying. There's miscarriages going on. There's death there that's overtaken the city of Jericho. And from there, Elisha's going to the place where the guy came who rebuilt it at, and sacrificed his children to do so, right? Mm-hmm. 
And so when he gets to Bethel, he comes across these young men, right? And so it's like, you know, this is the culture that gave birth to Jericho where all these children are dying and being sacrificed. Mm-hmm. And he comes in and these young men are mocking him, bald head, bald head. And he may have been bald headed or it may be that he shaved his head in mourning over, you know, losing his mentor. We don't know. But anyway, it's at that moment that he turns around and curses them, not because they're little kids mocking him, but because they're the very kind of people who've brought this plague of death upon the land. And what happens? Two she-bears come out of the woods and tear up these young men who are standing against him. And as disturbing as this story is, when you read it and you think of bears, you know, like you said, killing eight-year-olds, no, it's not that at all. It's two bears coming out of the wilderness that are going up against the kind of people who have no problem sacrificing their children for their own interest. That was common in the ancient world. And this passage should be a comfort because it shows us that our God has this mama bear mentality, right? That he's going to send. And it's no accident that it's she bears. What is a she bear known for? Still to this day. Protecting her cubs. Protecting the cubs. Oh, my gosh. As a headmaster, trust me, I get to hear mama bear a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Mama bears protect their children. And so when you see the Lord sending mama bears, it shows a part of his character. When he's watching the culture that's engaged in death and willing to sacrifice children and do all these things, the mama bear of God comes out and says, no, I will not allow this. And he tears these wicked men apart. And there's some of us that should feel great comfort knowing that our God has a mama bear side to him. Yes, indeed. I think the other thing, too, you mentioned the bald head that it, that it maybe Elisha was bald or maybe he had shaved his head. But the other thing, too, is, is remember back in Second Kings 1 when we were looking at how Elijah had been described. Elijah sends the messengers back to Ahaziah, and they said, who was this? Ahaziah's like, who was this man? And the answer that they gave him, he was a hairy man. He was, you know, he wore he wore a garment of hair. But the actual Hebrew word is the, he was the he was the Lord of Hair. <laughs> and so whatever the um, it is know, Elijah, yeah, basically right. So whatever Elijah, whether it was referring to his garment, his appearance, probably I think both. He certainly wore a cloak that had that was made probably from ha- camel's hair. Mm-hmm. That was a prophet thing. But he was also obviously a hairy guy. He was. Very very robust in the facial hair, I would say. And so I think what they're saying to Elisha, this is bringing it full circle mm-hmm. to the Mark thinks Elisha got no respect. I think one mm-hmm. of the things they're taunting him with is you're not Elijah. Mm-hmm. You're not, you're, you're a bald head. You're not like the For hairy sure. guy. And because if you were, Lord would have taken you up too. Why don't you go up? Elijah went up. Did you go up? Bald head. You didn't get to go up. Bald head. And I think that it was a very specific taunt saying, you're not the Lord's man. And and man. Elisha said, if I'm the – I'm just – okay, I'm echoing Elijah again here. If I be a man of God, let fire come to – you know, he, he cursed him in the name of the Lord. And the it, it, first of all, Elisha did not call bears mm-hmm. out of the woods. The Lord sent bears. Elisha just cursed them in the mm-hmm. name of the Lord. Lord, you handle it. And the Lord said, you know what? Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Bears? so i'm just saying this was a (laughs) it's true though you know it's like it's like the lord had the bears on standby i just just love the tone bears bears for you so anyway i i did and 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 so this story when you read it at first you're shocked by it and Mm -hmm. i and i and and i'm just gonna say look 42 people got mauled by bears uh, by the way, it does not say they were killed. It just says that they were mauled. And I mean, that may mean they were killed and it may not. The bears may have come out and scratched them up real good and taught them a lesson, or it may have devoured them. I don't know. Either way, 42 people got hurt. And I don't want to like act like I don't care about that. But I want you to understand that that as this story goes, this story is telling us that, number one, God will not be mocked. And number two, God will protect his people. We got to understand the Lord is appalled at the behavior that was in the land at this time. In the very next chapter, uh, we, we come across a battle with Moab in which a child is going to be sacrificed. Yes. Um, so this, this culture is not like it, – it's this is happening in pagan worship all over the place. Right. And so the context – 
of going from Jericho, where all these children are dying through miscarriage, down and and being sacrificed to build the city, down to the next chapter, immediately after this, where the king of Moab is sacrificing his kids. These are not unrelated. And the Lord, when he when these two mama bears come out, the Lord is saying, "No, no, yeah. this is wicked." Yeah. So this is a comfort. This. When we rightly understood, right? When we rightly understand this passage right here, it should be a comfort of the character of God that yeah. He does not endorse this. Yeah, and I do, and and I don't want to act like it's a bad thing to be uncomfortable with some of the things that you read. If you are uncomfortable with a Bible story, that's okay. But what mm-hmm. I am suggesting is that you shouldn't necessarily make an assumption and run off and say, "Well, this is, you know, this is God." destroying children, um, I would suggest that if you have something that you're like, I read this, I'm troubled by it, talk to your pastor, talk to, you know, talk to somebody that can help you understand the stories, because a lot of these Old Testament stories on their surface are shocking. And Sam, you and I have talked about this before, yeah. this, the things where God says, go in and kill every man and every woman and every child and every animal and ruin the land. Well, okay, mm-hmm. that's, you're, you're like, how is that a loving God? Well, when mm-hmm. you understand what the story is communicating to you, you begin to understand the Lord's heart and and the fact that the Lord is is He's a loving God. Yes, He's also a just God and a holy God and a righteous God. And you know, so there are these things that are you know, it's not it's not like God is this heavenly teddy bear who looks down and says unicorns and sprinkles for everyone. He <laughs> is a just and a righteous and a holy God, and He will not be mocked. But he's also a God who loves his people and a God who defends his people and a God who ultimately sacrificed himself for his people. Yeah. And that is where you trust his goodness and you see his heart. Yeah. So we talked about how the original tour of going from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho was kind of the the homage to Joshua Mm -hmm. and the, the upcoming of The Apprentice. I do love that on afterwards you see Elisha going Jericho Bethel then to Mount Carmel then to Samaria which now he's retracing the steps of his master um or his leader Elijah you know he's going to Mount Carmel I mean what does he do there does he just sit there and think and honor Elijah and remember what he did as he just you know he's he's paying tribute I think mm-hmm. and then he goes to Samaria the capital city where it all began where Elijah confronted Ahab and I think what Elisha's doing is is kind of entering into the life of his master yeah he is and actually, we're going to be talking about that in two weeks. <laughs> this is, that's how far ahead the brain works, folks. I'm two weeks behind, two weeks ahead. In a couple of weeks, we're actually going to be going through a chapter from Second Kings where there's a rapid-fire succession of miracles presented. And mm-hmm. when you consider what the miracles are and the arc of those miracles, you're going to see that in that one chapter, God is basically showing you his entire arc of redemption. It's a wonderful – you know, it's like – I don't know. It's like those five miracles. When I read through it and realized, I looked at what they're showing me, what each one of them <laughs> calls to mind as I understand mm-hmm. what's going on in that place. I begin to realize that the Lord was in this one chapter. The Lord is saying, look, this is it. This is my whole deal with my people. And there's, there's, there's birth from, there's miraculous birth. There's resurrection. There's, there's healing. There's provision. There's, you know, it's, it's all in, in one chapter. I'm like, that's really, any, if you think the Old Testament is boring, just hang on. We've got more for you. This has not been boring <laughs> at any point along here. Yeah, um, and the, and he's basically saying, you know, if the people are saying you're no Elijah, and that you know, it's going to be, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, boom, 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 boom. Yeah, I mean, exactly. he does all these miracles Elijah had done to verify him, and that's what draws me back. You know, if I'm thinking through, okay, how does that apply to us? It goes back to that promise of Jesus. You know, we live in a world where good. Grief, it feels like evil is on, on the onslaught and, you know, we're on our heels and he's pushing. Draw to mind the promise of Jesus that we, his church, will do greater things yeah. than him. Yeah. That's a promise from the God who is sovereign over all things. Yeah. We will do greater things than him. And so press on in faith. Yeah. 
don't let uh, don't let people give you no respect and discourage you. If the <laughs> Lord has called you to do something, He's going to let you do it. He's going to find a way for you to do. It. He's going to part the waters. He's going to make the dr- the ground dry for you. If He's called you to go, you go, and the Lord will handle it from there. Amen. I made reference earlier to something that uh, I'm just going to give people a quick understanding. I made reference to our personal worship study notes. If you're not somebody that goes to church at Rio Vista Church and you're not familiar with what that is, um, each week on Monday, our church puts out a five-day sort of devotional, meditative sort of thing that walks you through the passage that will be preached on the upcoming Sunday. And uh, when this particular passage, this Second Kings chapter 2, was coming out, that was for the week of May 10th. Um, that meaning that was Monday, May 10th that it came out and it was looking ahead to the sermon that was coming up that following Sunday. Um, our website, riovistachurch.com at the top of the website, there's a, th- a menu item that says watch and read. One of the things under watch and read is personal worship. That always takes you to the current personal worship week. And right at the top, there's a button that says view previous weeks. I realize this is getting complicated, but there's three steps, riovistachurch.com, watch and read, personal worship, and then hit view previous weeks and look for May 10. If you wanted to read the study notes for this week and and look at that very detailed discussion of the Bible words, <laughs> I went full Bible nerd on you there in that week. So it's all there on day five at the end of the chapter. If you wanted to actually say, okay, well, what is this word? And I, I want to I go through this myself. By all means, we've laid it all out for you there. And and we do encourage you, if you are not uh, somebody that goes to church at Rio Vista Church, if you want to keep up with the messages that are being preached that go along with this series of podcasts, you can find those at riovistachurch.com in our sermon library under the Desiring the Kingdom series. You can see all of the messages that have been preached by our different teaching elders, by Pastor Tom Hendricks and Pastor Sam Katzesmith. And Will Bushman, our co-director of student ministries, preached one also. So we've got these We've got this in this library there on the website. You can keep up with that. Uh, you can also find all the back episodes of the Out of Water podcast. You can find our study notes. There's a lot of resources for you there on our website at riovistachurch.com. We do hope that you've enjoyed your time with us today, that it's been profitable. Um, we hope that you'll continue to follow the Out of Water podcast. You can get us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, or on Spotify. Uh, Sam and I will be back next week with Second Kings chapter 3. And if you think this chapter had some interesting stuff in it, just wait for chapter 3. <laughs> We've got a lot for you. We look forward to seeing you then. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.